1 Samuel 26, beginning in verse 14. Let us hear the word of God. And David called out to the people and to Abner the son of Ner, saying, Do you not answer, Abner? And Abner answered and said, Who are you calling out to the king? So David said to Abner, Are you not a man, and who is like you in Israel? Why then have you not guarded your lord, the king? For one of the people came in to destroy your lord, the king. This thing that you have done is not good. As the Lord lives, you deserve to die, because you have not guarded your master, the Lord's anointed. And now see where the king's spear is, and the jug of water that was by his head. Then Saul knew David's voice and said, Is that your voice, my son David? David answered, It is my voice, my lord, O king. And he said, Why does my lord thus pursue his servant? For what have I done, or what evil is in my hand? Now, therefore, please let my lord, the king, hear the words of his servant. If the Lord has stirred you up against me, let him accept an offering. But if this is the children of men, may they be cursed before the Lord. For they have driven me out this day from sharing in the inheritance of the Lord, saying, Go serve other gods. So now, do not let my blood fall to the earth before the face of the Lord. For the king of Israel has come out to seek a flea, as when one, heart, one hunts a partridge in the mountains. And then Saul said, I have sinned. Return, my son David, for I will harm you no more, because my life was precious in your eyes this day. Indeed, I have played the fool and erred exceedingly. And David answered and said, Here is the king's spear. Let one of the young men come over and get it. May the Lord repay every man for his righteousness and his faithfulness, for the Lord delivered you into my hand today, but I would not stretch out my hand against the Lord's anointed. And indeed, as your life was valued much this day in my eyes, so let my life be valued much in the eyes of the Lord, and let him deliver me out of all tribulation. Then Saul said to David, May you be blessed, my son David. You shall both do great things and also still prevail. So David went on his way, and Saul returned to his place. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Amen. All right, well, last time we returned here to Saul chasing David. Obviously, it's a theme that we've seen for several chapters now. We had a brief interlude with the story of Nabal, but we return to this here. And uh, remember, Saul had promised to stop chasing after David there in chapter 24, Um, but he's doing it again. So those chapter 26 is similar to parts of chapter 23 and chapter 24, especially with the men of Ziph turning David over and the issue of the cave in chapter 24 and the things that were said between uh, David and Saul. Uh, Though there are similarities, there are clearly differences. This is a different account. So basically the men of Ziph had it in for David and they're seeking again to help Saul find David. Saul comes again with 3,000 of his best soldiers, and they set up camp in Hakalah. 
Though Saul was completely surrounded by his soldiers, perfectly and completely protected, David and Abishai, his nephew, crept into the camp at night and came right to Saul. They were able to take Saul's spear and his water jug without detection because God made it happen. Basically, he caused the soldiers to sleep deeply. Now, like we saw in chapter 24 in the cave, so too here, David refuses to take a shortcut to the throne. He refuses to take matters into his own hands and kill Saul or let anybody else do it for him. Here, Abishai. So after this, then, David and Abishai, of course, retreat to a safe distance. And that's where we pick things up now in verse 14. And David called out to the people and to Abner, the son of Ner, saying, Do you not answer, Abner? And Abner answered and said, Who are you? Calling out to the king. All right. Well, David is far enough away to be at least somewhat safe, uh, but not so far away that they can't hear one another. Um, We don't know what that was. Maybe the terrain, the mountainside, this kind of thing, the contours of the land helped to aid his voice. And maybe it was a half a mile away. Uh, Think of when uh, Jesus spoke from the boat and the water and the contours of the beach and so forth helped to amplify his voice. So maybe something like that is happening here. Um, Presumably it's still nighttime and so the voice tends to carry to some degree in that way. Um, But whatever the situation specifically is, obviously everybody can hear David. Everybody, (laughs) meaning the whole army, can hear David. And David now singles out Abner. So David is there with his nephew. Saul is there with his cousin. Abner, recall, is his cousin or his uncle. And so David says then in verse 15, So David said to Abner, Are you not a man, and who is like you in Israel? Why then have you not guarded your lord, the king? For one of the people came in to destroy your lord, the king. All right, now, we, I think, can summarize it here. Abner, you're the man, okay? You're the one who is Saul's bodyguard. You're the key to uh, the army here, Saul's army as commander. You're sleeping right beside the king. Um, David's kind of taunting him here a little bit. Uh, Basically, you failed. You could have had a dead king if I would have done differently. Some have suggested that he's questioning Abner's manhood. And maybe that's why he says you are the man at the beginning here. Um, But whatever the case, he's uh, accusing him of failing at his job. You let someone walk right in, and one of them wanted to kill David, we know, did not, but Abishai did. So verse 16, he continues, This thing that you have done is not good. As the Lord lives, you deserve to die, because you have not guarded your master, the Lord's anointed. And now, see where the king's spear is, and the jug of water that was by his head. So David, obviously, takes the next step here. He not only accuses Abner of failure, but he basically says what the punishment should be. He should die. He's, he's failed. This isn't just, you know, making a mistake on a math problem here. This is, 
uh, a, a complete failure. And, and certainly in other cultures, uh, soldiers would be put to death for this. And so Abner uh, is, is uh, responsible. Now, there's something here that you probably are not seeing in your English translation. If you have the old King James, maybe you do. But there are you singular pronouns and you plural pronouns here in the verse. The verse begins with the you singular. So this thing that you, Abner, have done is not good. And then it says, as the Lord lives, you deserve to die because you, plural, have not guarded your master. Those are you plurals. So really the whole army deserves to die. They have failed, not just Abner, because they all were sleeping. They all let Saul um, basically die. Obviously, didn't happen, but it certainly could have. And so, this uh, rather major mistake, leaving the king vulnerable to, to, to attack, means that everybody is worthy of the severest of punishments. Ultimately, though, notice what David says, they failed God because he calls Saul here Yahweh's anointed. Saul, for all of his faults and sin and everything, and even though David is the true king at this point, Saul, in God's providence, is still ruling as king, and so he still is Yahweh's anointed. And even if he were to have stepped aside, you know, he's, he's like the retired president or something like that. He, even that, he has an extra status because he was president, um, so to speak. But... Um, um, Basically, they didn't do what God wanted here, the one that God had chosen to be king. And so David here spared Saul because Saul is God's chosen. All right, now, before Abner can start dismissing this voice from a distance and likely a voice exiting from the darkness... Um, again, it doesn't say specifically that it's still dark, but it likely is. And um, so before Abner can say, you know, well, this guy is just crazy and, you know, he needs to go back to sleep or something like that. David now refers to the two items that he and Abishai took from Saul's side near his head. And this, of course, proves that his words here are legitimate. And so... Um, you might say that he is uh, um, saying, Abner, you, you, you need to pay attention here on what happened. So uh, obviously the spear was taken and the jug of water was taken. <clears throat> These are symbols of, uh, of life and power. Uh, I mentioned this briefly last time. The spear, of course, is a symbol of Saul's authority as king. And uh, remember that spear was in the ground by his head. So it was acting like a kind of banner, and possibly there was something tied to it or whatever, and so everybody could see, hey, here's where the king is, right? And so it's quite possible, even if the whole army is on its feet by now, uh, that many people, if not all of them, could see that there is no spear by Saul. Now, as for the water bottle, uh, this is a symbol of life, a symbol of of sustaining someone's life. Um, now, surely, um, if Saul would have left his water jug behind somewhere, somebody else would have water or whatever. But, but still, you see that David is taking this symbol of life. So he's taking Saul's throne. He is taking Saul's life, 
symbolically. And David, in many ways, has a right to do that as the king-elect, but, of course, he doesn't literally do so. So once again, no wonder that Abner and the army deserve to die. So (laughs) imagine the scene here. How often, when we are sleeping deeply, that we wake up and we're not really sure what's going on. We always, Naylene and I kind of laugh when the kids get up and they're, you know, middle of the night. They're not sure where it is. You know, sometimes we're like, hey, the bathroom's that way, (laughs) you know, not in here. (laughs) And uh, so you can imagine that these men are somewhat groggy, if not very groggy. Maybe they're not quite sure what is uh, happening, not really uh, understanding what David is saying at this point. Uh, but it's probably starting to, to clear up and they're starting to see, hey, whoa, you know, what happened? And so even if the whole army doesn't see that the spear is gone, certainly those nearby and very likely very few other than the ones nearby could see that the jug is gone. But it, it's clear and surely word would have spread. And so how does this happen? How could we have missed these intruders? And so maybe some of them are despairing greatly at this point. Which brings us then to verse 17. And Saul knew David's voice and said, Is that your voice, my son David? David said, It is my voice, my lord, O king. All right. Now Abner might be able to recognize David's voice too, but... But certainly Saul is the one who says this. He would have heard David speak many different times and certainly would recognize his voice. He asks if it is, but actually the Hebrew uses the question in such a way that it's indicating, yes, he, he does recognize David. It's not like he, he's unsure or something to that effect. Um, but David does respond, yes, it, it is I. And uh, note his respect here. My Lord, he says. My O King. And so, remember as I said last week, David is initiating in this. Yes, Saul is chasing him, but David's the one who goes down into the camp. He doesn't wait for Saul to come to him or something like that uh, beyond coming to this place in Hakalah. And so, notice his respect, and now note verse 18, David continues to challenge And he said, why does my Lord thus pursue his servant? For what have I done, or what evil is in my hand? All right. Pretty straightforward questions here. Why are you chasing me? You said you wouldn't. Why are you doing this? What have I done wrongly? All right, now, we're going to do a little back and forth here with chapter 24. Uh, But let's turn there then a moment. And um, without reading all of it again, uh, let me just highlight a few things. Um, in verse 9, right, David has now come out of the, the cave, and he's already cut the edge of the robe and so forth. And in verse 9, uh, he starts speaking. And know what he says. Why do you listen to the words of men who say, indeed, David seeks your harm? Now, you might remember when I went through that, I said, look at how David does not challenge Saul directly. It's more indirect. He's saying, why are you listening to these people over here? 
Do you see how that's different now in chapter 26? He's going to talk about the people who are talking about David, but he starts with Saul. Why are you doing this, Saul? David is confronting the king directly. Now in chapter 24, he goes on to say, look, I could have killed you and I didn't. Look, here's the edge of your robe and so forth. And Saul then responds, again, still in chapter 24, verses 16 and following, and notice his response, is this your voice, my son David? You see that how it's the same. And then uh, he cries, and you are more righteous than I, and so on and so forth here. Okay? So Dave, Saul says that David is righteous because he did not kill him. Well, as David confronts Saul directly here in chapter 26... Saul responds in the same kind of way, right? Is this your voice, my son, David? Um, We'll see even more similarities as we continue on. But again, as as we compare these two situations, you remember last week I mentioned in chapter 24, David is a little hesitant. What should I do here? What is God's providence? Should I kill uh, Saul? And in a sense, he did it first by cutting off the robe. But then he's like, no, no, I I can't do this. But here, right from the beginning, no Abishai, we're not going to kill Saul. And uh, so, again, these are two scenarios. Do you see how David is, can you say, growing and maturing? And how to handle someone who opposes him? All right, let's keep going. Verse 19. Now, therefore, please, let my lord the king hear the words of his servant. If the Lord has stirred you up against me, let him accept an offering. But if it is the children of men, may they be cursed before the Lord. For they have driven me out this day from sharing in the inheritance of the Lord, saying, Go serve other gods. All right, once again, do you see David's humility? Note his language here. Note his attitude. He's more direct, but he's not in your face, you might say. He is more direct but he's not rude, he's not mean, okay, right? Now, therefore, please let my Lord, that's a petition, right? He's commanding Saul, but, but note the humility there. And again, note the language, my Lord, the king. And then he says the words of his servant. Okay? As we consider handling those who confront us, who oppose us, who are against us in one way or another. Let's learn from David. Do you hear the humility that should be a part of our approach? We can be direct, but that doesn't mean that we're rude or mean. And this is where many people fail. We've got to, you know, take the speck out of somebody's eye or, you know, we must confront someone in their sin. Yeah, okay but do it humbly. We saw this with Abigail when she confronted David. It's the same idea. All right, now, um, notice the two scenarios that David gives. The first one is, if Yahweh sent you, let him basically forgive my sin. And so, ultimately, David knows he has not done wrong wrongly but if if he has then may god forgive may 
I bring a sacrifice, have my sins paid for, and be restored to God. That's, that's the idea, right? Maybe you could say, for sake of argument, let's go with this first scenario. But, but again, do you see, David, if I've sinned, my hope is in God. And that's the right approach. But then secondly, he says, if it is the children of men, may they be cursed before the Lord. Now, that's obviously very different. He doesn't say, may they have their sins forgiven. It's an imprecation. May they be cursed for what they have done. If others have convinced you, Saul, that I'm against you and I'm this bad guy, may they be cursed. And note the reason why David gives here. They have driven me out from sharing in the inheritance of the Lord, saying, go serve other gods. And David has done this already, right? He's gone to Gath. He's gone to Moab. He's going to go to Gath again in the next chapter. And so David is forced to leave the promised land. And so if somebody is forcing you out of the church, as it were, don't they deserve to be cursed? So David's words here are not being mean or anything. They're actually quite logical. All right, now, these men... Probably what he has in mind are the men of Ziph. They're the ones who are trying to turn David over to Saul. And even where he used similar words in chapter 24, remember the men of Ziph in the passage before this had turned David over. But there, right, the Philistines came and, and Saul had to leave. And other people sent intel to Saul where David wasn't in Gedi. Um, but at least in this context, the men of Ziph would be Uh, the most likely ones he is referring to, but certainly it can apply to others. And so they're trying to keep David away from blessing, and they're they're being successful. They have successfully canceled David. They have doxed him. They have swatted him, and all these things that are happening today. Did you hear there's a few more swats that happened this week, and uh, thankfully nobody died. Um, But that's what they're trying to do to David. They're trying to do a prank 911, as it were, and get the police to come in and kill somebody. Um, And so David is uh, running for his life. And again, as we'll see in the next chapter, even to Philistia. All right, well, let's keep going then. Verse 20. So now, do not let my blood fall to the ground before the face of the Lord, for the king of Israel has come out to seek a flea as when one hunts a partridge in the mountains. All right, David really is answering his own if in the last verse. Hey, I haven't done anything wrong. I'm willing to be told otherwise, but really he's like, I haven't. I am not to blame. I am innocent, he says. And so do not let my blood fall to the earth. Do not kill me. And then nobody says, before the face of Yahweh, he's watching. Doesn't this sound like the blood of Abel crying out from the ground? If you kill me, the same thing is going to happen. And so Saul is acting like Cain. Saul is acting like the seed of the serpent. David is like the seed of the woman here. The language here is very intentional. Then, David, you see his humility again. I'm like a flea. I am like 
a partridge. Now, if you turn back to chapter 24 here just a moment, um, he said something similar. You remember in uh, uh, verse 14, he says, After whom has the king of Israel come out? Whom do you pursue? A dead dog? A flea? So um, it's obviously similar here instead of a dog, he says a partridge. Um, And that's probably because the word for partridge corresponds for the word for call. And that's the word we see twice in verse 14. David is calling from the ridge over yonder or whatever. And so now he is like a caller. He's like a partridge. It's again, it's the same um, basic word there, related word. So as I said in chapter 24, a flea can't do very much. One flea. Might be a little annoying, but that's it. It can't do anything. Now, a whole bunch of fleas, it infestates the house. Okay, A huge infestation, it can kill people, it can kill dogs or whatever. But one isn't going to do very much. That's like David. Might be a little pesky for Saul, but he really is not a threat. The same, I think, is the, the case here for the partridge. Partridges are, are small. Okay, you might think of um, uh, the small birds that um, uh, walk around and run around on the ground and so forth. And uh, we have some near our house and such. They, they, they're not harmful in any way. Okay. In fact, partridges are hunted, as David is. And that's probably also why he uses that uh, uh, image here. <clears throat> So, let's not miss the broad point here. Here is someone, Saul, who is chasing after someone who is innocent. David does not deserve this. David is not guilty. It's only happening because Saul is jealous. Saul wants to remain as king and not give up the throne. Now, surely none of us have been in that kind of specific situation. But we've been in similar uh, situations. The similar idea is here. There are people who have come against us. Maybe it's someone at work or a neighbor or someone years ago, something that's happening now. Maybe someone we know, someone we don't know. But when we have people come against us, let's learn from what David is doing here. How should we handle this? Well, note his humility Note his directness. Note his willingness to be found wrong, but also insisting on his innocence because he truly was. Let's do the same kinds of things. I've been trying to heed these words as there uh, is one person in particular that's trying to cancel our conference. And I'm, I'm trying to be humble about it. Frankly, there are times I'm not sure what to do and what to say, but uh, I'm, I'm trying not to just do tit for tat and, and, uh, and do the same kind of thing to this person. Um, just trying to basically practice what I'm preaching here in these passages. So let's keep this in mind when someone is coming against us. All right, well, let's keep going. Verse 21. <clears throat> then Saul said, I have sinned. Return, my son David, for I will harm you no more, because my life was precious in your eyes this day. Indeed, I have played the fool and erred exceedingly. 
Sounds good, doesn't it? Let's turn back to chapter 24 again. And in verse 17, Saul said to David, You are more righteous than I, for you have rewarded me with good when I have rewarded you with evil. You have shown this day that you have dealt well with me, and so forth, right? So Saul doesn't say, I have sinned, or I'm in the wrong there, but that's the implication. Here he actually goes the next step and says that he has sinned. He has wronged David. He even promises, I'm not going to harm you anymore. That's, again, the implication and so forth from chapter 24. Here he says it very directly. Is he improving? We've talked about David improving, becoming more direct and and confident and such. Is that the same here with Saul? Well, um, I don't think so, based on what we see from here on out in the book. But... uh, Um, at least there's some good things that are coming out of his mouth. He even says again, like we saw in chapter 24, that David has spared Saul and proved himself faithful. And Saul, in essence, is saying, hey, I've acted like Nabal. I've been a fool. Now, this is not the same word for fool as Nabal, but it obviously has the same idea. Saul sounds genuine. Sounds good. But, right, in one sense, anybody can say the right words. In one sense, a monkey or a parrot can say the right words. What matters is, are they sincere? We have seen since chapter, really chapter 9, but especially chapter 13, Saul has said the right things multiple times. Chapter 13, chapter 15, even... um, in uh, chapters 17 and 18 and so forth. And then, of course, we've seen some of this since then, again, especially chapter 24 and now. But Samuel learned not to trust the words coming out of Saul's mouth. Jonathan learned not to trust his father. David has learned not to trust this man. Just because someone says the right things does not mean that they are genuine. And so, as Jesus says, you need to know a tree by its fruit. And sometimes, at first glance, it looks okay. But over time, not so much. We've had peaches come and do here, and, you know, you look up and you're like, hey, that looks like a great peach, and you pick it, and, oh, there's a bad spot on the back. Saul had many bad spots. But he looked good here, sounded good, and sometimes... Closer inspection makes it plain. Sometimes only time will tell. Saul's had plenty of time, and again, he's going to show himself to be insincere. So, verse 22, And David answered and said, Here is the king's spear, that one of the young men come over and get it. Now, you wonder what David would have said if Saul would have just, you know, shook his fist and ranted and raved and so forth. Um, But David, at least to some degree, accepts Saul's words here, and he doesn't push anymore. He says, okay, come get your spear. You know what that, you notice what that's saying. David has taken the symbol of the king, the symbol of the throne. David, in essence, is asserting that he is the true king by taking the spear. 
And he's right. He does deserve it. He deserves to hold the spear, but, but David is not going to take the throne by force, nor is he going to take it by theft. And so he says, okay, come get the spear. Now, notice a couple things here. Saul had just said to David, return to me. We just saw that in verse 21. Return my son David, and David doesn't do that. He does not trust Saul. He, He instead says, come and get the spear. Now, maybe out of respect for the king, David doesn't say, Saul, come and get the spear. He says, send somebody else. Now, notice that there is nothing in the text that says it actually happened. But I think it's fair for us to assume that someone did come and retrieve the spear. Now, maybe at that time, David was long gone. Maybe David handed it off to him. We don't know. We're not told. But do you see how David is relying on God's providence again? He is not going to take a shortcut. He is not going to take matters into his own hands. He didn't do it when he was standing beside Saul, and he doesn't do it here either. He is going to rely on the Lord in it. So you remember last week, that's what he said to Abishai. Okay? Either Saul's going to have to die naturally, he's going to have to die like Nabal did, God attacking him, or he's going to die in battle. I'm not going to do it. And we have a similar idea here. All right, so let's look at verse 23. May the Lord repay every man for his righteousness and his faithfulness. For the Lord delivered you into my hand today, but I would not stretch out my hand against the Lord's anointed. All right, so we keep hearing this. We saw it in chapter 24. We saw it last week, so I'm not going to dwell on it again, but to hear the same idea. David is acknowledging his innocence. He is saying that he has done rightly. He is the righteous one. He is the faithful one. So basically, may God bless me in this way. And so... Chapter 24, verse 6, chapter 26, verse 9, same theme. I am, I am righteous because I didn't kill you. And so, Lord, reward me and by implication, punish Saul. Doesn't come right out and say that, but certainly that's the implication. So then, verse 24, and indeed, as your life was valued much this day in my eyes, so let my life be valued much in the eyes of the Lord, and let him deliver me out of all tribulation. All right. <clears throat> Do you see David's confidence? But you also see that David is focusing on God here, not Saul. I value your life. Okay? I didn't kill you. But notice, he does not say, may my life be valued in your eyes, Saul. He doesn't trust Saul, (laughs) but may my life be valued in God's eyes. May he deliver me from you and all tribulation. So, again, you see how we can learn from David. When we are in a position of hardship, somebody's out to get us, or maybe it's, you know, COVID's out to get us, or, you know, some other kind of non-personal thing, um, Trust in the Lord. David is looking to God here. May God deliver me. He's not hoping in Saul. He's hoping in the Lord. So let's do the same. So through through this whole section, do you hear David's confidence? Do you hear his faithfulness and 
his obedience, but also his faith and his trust? Do you hear his humility? Do you hear his boldness? He is willing to challenge the king. Do you also see here that God is on the side of his people? For those of us who are seeking to obey the Lord, we can creep into the enemy's camp and not be harmed. Now, that doesn't mean we necessarily do that literally. But do you see the point? God is going to protect us, his people. And so many times you hear stories, you know, Fox's Book of Martyrs and such, and yeah, they may end up dead, but there are so many times along the way that God did protect them. And then there are other times where people have been protected completely. Um, God does the same thing for us today. And so uh, take uh, assurance in that. Now let me mention this. Remember, Saul is not a Canaanite. He is not a Philistine or a Moabite or an Edomite. He is a fellow Israelite. The attack that we might face can come from unbelievers. But sometimes they come from professing believers. Sometimes it comes from those that we know, those we've worshipped with, those that we have spent time with in regard to something with the Lord. So it's easy in one sense to deal with those who are outside the church, but those who are in the church acting like Saul, it can be very difficult. But learn from David here. Learn how to handle this. And so whether they're attacking us overtly or subtly, fear is normal. Seeking to protect ourselves is expected. But like David, be humble, turn the other cheek, Protect yourself, stand up for what is true. Okay. Maybe we confront that person in their sin. Okay. Remember, Saul came to capture David, but David's the one who crept into the camp. David's the one who initiates in all of this. And so, <clears throat> um, again, our, our point here simply is just learn from David. Learn how to handle some of these things. By following his example. All right. <clears throat> now notice something that David does not say in any of these words. You'll notice that David says that Saul is his Lord six times. His king eight times. That Saul is the anointed one. That's four times if you go back to when he was talking to Abishai early in the chapter. Okay. But he never calls Saul his father like he did in chapter 24, verse 11. There is some distance there, you might say. This term of endearment is not used. Note also this point. David says Yahweh's name ten times in these verses, and five more times if you go back to last week with his words with Abishai. Saul never says God's name here in this section. So David is submitting to a human king who is not serving God, but ultimately David is the one serving the true king. So look then at verse 25. And Saul said to David, May you be blessed, my son David. You shall both do great things and also still prevail. So David went on his way and Saul returned to his place. 
right? Be discerning. What did Saul not say? <laughs> he doesn't mention God's name. May you be blessed. Not may God bless you, just may you be blessed. Some generic prayer that we might hear today in the public square. You know, we, we pray that you will protect us. We pray that you'll help bless America. And maybe they don't even say God anymore. Okay. <clears throat> That's like Saul. There's no genuine faith there at all. Um, So let us be discerning too. Listen to what people are saying. Don't just take things at face value. Notice that Saul uses some insincere affection here, my son. So again, be discerning. Now in this last uh, word from Saul, You shall both do great things and also still prevail. In the Hebrew, both of those verbs are repeated. So it's do, do, prevail, prevail, or win, win, you could say. Um, I I think we should take that to mean that Saul is kind of grinding his teeth here, biting his tongue, as it were. He's just really grudgingly saying, David, you're going to succeed, and I hate it. Since chapter 16 and 17 and, and so on, right? This has been Saul's whole problem. He's jealous. Now notice how the verse or the chapter ends. Uh, David does not return, as Saul commanded in verse 21. He does not trust him. He's respectful, he's polite, he's submissive, but he does not trust Saul and he goes his own way. Saul returns to Gibeah for now. These are the last words that Saul and David say to one another. Remember we saw a few chapters ago the last words that David and Jonathan spoke to one another. You see the contrast. (laughs) Great encouragement, David and Jonathan. Not here. And so the last words that David speaks to Saul are basically, God's vindicating me for my innocence. The last word that Saul said to David is something very insincere. So it's no surprise then that the next time we see Saul, he's seeking out a medium, and within a day of that event, he's dead. So we're coming here to the end. Now remember, our initial point when Gad or whoever wrote these things the initial point to the initial readers of 1 Samuel was not only the things that I've been talking about, but also, do you see, we really want David as our king. He is the good guy. Saul is the bad guy. And so let us trust our God when people come against us because our God is the one we hope in, not in men. And so let's learn from these things and seek to emulate it as God's people. All right. Well, we'll turn next time to a different kind of David, you might say. So let's pray together. Our Father and God, we again thank you for your word. And we thank you that you give us here in story format a picture filled with propositions, filled with these ideas of how we should behave as your people, especially in the context of opposition. We are thankful, Lord, that we 
um, can, can come to this story and, and we can see David and his actions and hear what he has to say and how he handled things that we might learn from it. And so we pray, Lord, that you would help us to not just know a story, but to learn from the story. As we live in a culture that is increasingly hostile and opposing to us and, and even uh, professing believers, even fellow church members, as, as Vody Bauckham says, there's a looming catastrophe for the evangelical church. As, as this comes upon us, as we face some of these things, okay, Lord, help us to learn to be humble, to rely on you, to live righteously, to do what is right, not to take shortcuts, not to take matters into our own hands. All the things that we've seen here in this chapter. We pray for your, uh, your grace upon us, that we might heed these things and, and serve you and honor you and love you. And uh, through it all, Lord, we pray that uh, your name would be magnified and that you would extend your kingdom. And that we would walk in the footsteps of David who ultimately uh, is walking in the footsteps of our Lord. May we do so as well. And so we pray these things then in Jesus' name. Amen.